0: Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, editor Madhuni Christian. I'm joined again today by Airline Weekly reporter and Skift Airlines reporter, Edward Ned Russell. On this this week's episode, we talk about uh, the conundrum facing Boeing, about whether it should pull the trigger on a clean sheet design aircraft. And in fact, if it does, what will power it as propulsion technology is changing? We also talk about the MAX 10's first flight. Um how the Max 10 compares to the 321XLR and 321neo. American Airlines made a bunch of news by not having enough pilots to fly its aircraft. And we we go into why that's a retraining issue and not a staff shortage issue. And then we look at uh, the changing airline landscape in Europe as the pandemic has forced a lot of airlines to restructure, presented a lot of opportunities for new airlines to enter markets. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. Uh, Please check us out on airlineweekly.com. Uh, a new issue of the weekly publishes every Monday, and we update the site throughout the week. Information on how to subscribe is at airlineweekly.com. You can reach me at mu at skiff.com if you have any feedback, and you can reach ned at er at skiff.com. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi there, Ned Russell. How are
1: you? I'm good. How are you doing today, Madhu?
0: Good, thank you. And thank you once again to all of you for joining us on the Airline Weekly Lounge as we kick off another episode. Ned, so there's some exciting news on the the aircraft front, right?
1: There is. On Friday, the uh, latest and last uh, iteration of the MAX family, the MAX 10, made its first flight over uh, Washington State. Flew for a little over two hours.
0: Now tell us a little bit about this Max Ten. I mean, what what's its size and range, and like, well, where where does it fit in this aircraft? So the Max Ten
1: is going to be the largest Max model of, of the the family. It is it basically followed United's desire to have a slightly larger plane. It was launched one of the air shows a couple of years ago, and so it's it's got a modified landing gear so to avoid tail strikes mm-hmm. uh, compared to the Max Eight and Max Nine. And it's, I want to say it seats around 180 passengers, 185, but uh, don't hold me to that. So it's just, it's a slightly larger iteration. It's a, it's a stretch of a stretch of a stretch that is, is designed for, you know, high frequency trunk routes. It's, you know, you sacrifice a little bit of range to, to get the added seats, but, you know, in domestic US flights, that's what a lot of airlines want.
0: Now, how does it fit in? I mean, everyone wants the three twenty one, the Airbus A three twenty one. How does it s- stack up against the three twenty one?
1: So that's a good point, Madhu. The Max ten is not the three twenty one Neo, and that's obvious in the the orders and commitments. You know, Boeing doesn't actually break out uh, how many orders and commitments it has for each Max family, though. By my tally, it, I think it has a couple hundred. United is a launch customer. Uh, airlines like WestJet uh, have have some orders for them, but basically. The Max Ten seats about ten fewer passengers than the three twenty one Neo, which which isn't huge in airlineville, but it, it makes a difference, especially if you are going to a constrained airport. The where the A three twenty one Neo really shines above the Max Ten is if if you want the range. The three twenty one Neo has the LR and the XLR now that really adds range for a you know, fleet type that can be flown by the same pilots. And then I was also reading in the Seattle Times, Dominic Gates had a good point that for hot and high. Operations, the 321 NEO is is definitely a better plane. It can take off on a shorter runway at a full load, whereas the Max 10 could take weight restrictions. You know, he had a good quote in his story on Friday that from LA or Denver to LA on a hot day in the middle of summer, you know, the 321 NEO is a better plane. Wow. So it's uh it's you know, it it's a stretch of a stretch of a stretch that fills that you know. Goes part of the way to filling uh, the gap that Boeing has in its middle of the market lineup, but it's really not. Uh, it, it's it's not a replacement for the 321 Neo, and, and airlines have treated it as such. Everyone's right, buying right. the 321 Neo basically.
0: Well, the yeah, and the three, uh, Boeing has more to worry about with the 321 series, the uh, 321 XLR, the Neo, and the LR, um, then than just the max 10. I mean, we, we just reported this week, you know, Stephen Advarhazi of Air Lease Corp said that uh, the 321XLR basically does most of the missions of the 7.5s and the 7.6s, right? So, so yes. Boeing has nothing in that space. Airbus has, right, the 321XLR and some of those, I guess you could say the 350 as well, sort of, that that fills a niche in that mid, mid-market um, space base that boeing just can't compete with so um ludvar hazi as you know ned said that uh boeing really needs to pull the trigger on a clean sheet design they can't they nothing in their product line will actually um allow them to play catch up like the max did with the neo Um, they have nothing right now they can they can compete in that niche and it's interesting though i mean what what I mean, so Boeing pulls the trigger. I mean, you and I both covered aircraft programs. Like, when is the earliest that new aircraft could fly?
1: Five years is the fastest aircraft development timeline that I've seen out there. You know, that puts it 2026. One thing you mentioned that really jumped out at me from Udvar Hazi's comments in your piece, Madhu, was about power plants. That if they go with, with current technology power plants... They could get some incremental improvements in the mid 2020s, but there's an expectation that a whole new generation of power plants is going to be out around 2030. So they risk having right. a plane that's going to be obsolete within a couple of years of its of its launch.
0: That's true. His Uvarhazis' belief is that we've pushed against the limit of the uh, the gas turbine engine, and um, the the next power plant will be a, a step change whether that then yeah, no one knows you know whether that's some of the the things that are being experimented on like a, a hydrogen fuel cell these open rotor designs um the uh, yeah the even hybrid propulsion hybrid electric propulsion um he he did he did sound a little dismissive about the quote little air taxis that are using electric propulsion i don't think and and you know i don't think electric propulsion in for a large aircraft commercial aircraft is feasible in the next until battery technology changes so, so yeah um, my
1: research on electric it it just doesn't have the uh, have the energy to a power a large plane doesn't have that sort of energy intensity
0: that... right exactly, and the batteries you'd have to carry would be uh enormous so and heavy so um yeah, so you know but but hydrogen the I've seen some stuff about uh open rotor designs that are that are showing some promise, hydrogen is showing some promise, so yeah, I mean his his point was like as you said, Ned, Boeing could come up with a clean sheet now that could fly let's say by the end of the decade realistically, but by then the the power plants could be. Could be completely different, so it's a real risk, and then it, it's a risk for both airframers too, right? I mean, because Airbus is certainly looking to to its next generation of aircraft, like um, to replace some of its older older models. But and if they pull the trigger, I mean, they're in a better position than air, than Boeing because they have newer um, aircraft families, and the they aren't updating a sixty year old design. <laughs> every few years. So, um,
1: well, do you think this is a this is time for Boeing just to seed that middle of the market category for the next decade, to acknowledge that they're going that they yeah, or or I mean, should and the wait or or do they try to fill it somehow? What what do you think, Madhu?
0: That's a good question. I mean, that, that's a big big sector. It's a big niche in the market, right? We're talking uh, the, and and we, and with technology, I mean, when the 75 came out, networks were completely different. Now, I mean, with the 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 missions that the seven eights and the three fifties can do. I mean there's been networks or have a lot of long thin routes. Right. And so there could be even like thinner routes, long, long, thinner routes, <laughs> right? That haven't been explored yet that could that because they couldn't support the kind of wide body that had to fly them.
1: Um, and when I when you mention that, I think of something like uh Washington Dulles Oslo, which has never been done. Right, um, right. You know, stuff like that that Probably might might be able to work on a three twenty one XLR, but we're never capable of supporting a a three thirty. I mean, and that might have been flown by SS at one point, but stuff like that, you know, right? Yeah, Chicago exactly. Berlin, or you know, yeah,
0: exactly. Things that couldn't have been couldn't have supported a triple seven or 7.4 or or even a three thirty, but could support something an XLR size. So that that's a big market that that Boeing's seating. And, uh, but, but then again, like, um, where do they have the engineering resources right now? I mean, they've got their hands full with the triple seven X, the kind of problematic triple seven X program, the max's recurring travails <laughs> and, and, uh, the, you know, seven, eight, seven issue that they had to work through earlier this year. So, uh, they've got their hands full. Now, Ed Verhazi did say something very interesting, Ned, and I know you and I disagree about this because I love all things freight, but he, and you, you covered this with Airbus. I mean, Boeing has a great freighter lineup and that's that's kind of a big, you know, not very glamorous but increasingly important sector. And what what did Airbus say about that?
1: Absolutely. So Airbus had a briefing last week and and you know, they actively acknowledged that they uh, fall short on the freighter front. You know, they only offer, uh, based on their current lineup, an A330 uh, freighter, dedicated freighter model. But I don't believe many mm-hmm. have been built as dedicated freighter now that hold me to that. You know, everything else is a converted freighter. A lot of freighters. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry? <Yeah. laughs> a lot of freighters. <laughs> yeah, freighters. <laughs> Medusa's favorite word that I cringe every time <laughs> I hear it. But, um, yes. Yeah, so, so, whereas Boeing has dedicated freighters, the 777, the 767, I mean, the 7478, which is ending production, so that doesn't really count. It's... And, Airbus yeah, but a they, cargo plane. <laughs> Airbus said, you know, they are working on the business case for an A350 freighter uh, as as we speak, and that uh, that plane could launch as soon as the business case is done. Now, they didn't say when that could be, but that's something Airbus readily acknowledges. And uh, did I say A3, an A350 freighter? Uh, and we shall see. Airbus yeah. sees money in that space, especially coming out of the crisis. And, uh, you know, they're working towards it.
0: Right. I mean it's you know it's a very, it's an increasingly important part revenue stream for the airlines. It always was, but especially now. I mean there's there's a structural shift in retail is what most analysts think. People are going to shop online more. Maritime shipping is I was going to curse but I'm not going to is um now I can't think of a word to replace that cursor. word. It's a cluster. It's it a cluster, right, right now. And yeah, and right at the time when factories all over the world are restocking. So uh, they're turning to air freight. And Boeing has the, the 777 freighter, as you mentioned, the, the dash, this 47-8, which is going out of production, but it is a marvelous um, uh, uh, freight aircraft. And even things like, you know, Sun Country and Mesa and um, Amazon, Amazon, right? Sun Country, Mesa, Amazon, and...
1: Uh, well, Mesa's flying for, I think, DHL, the, Sun Country no, for but, Amazon. But,
0: but Amazon has its own aircraft. Oh, yeah, and Amazon three, Pride Air. Right. Prime right. right. primary. Prime Air. Prime. <laughs> Happy Pride. Uh, so, uh, so uh, you know, in the U.S., Amazon, um, Sun Country, and Mesa are all operating 737 freighters. So though, so it's got quite a lineup, as you mentioned. So and, and an that,
1: active production uh, yes. you know, system of those for converting 737s and 767s and Sevens to freighter. There's, you know, a lot of capacity there, and a lot of planes can move through that. Uh, whereas Airbus just doesn't. You know, they offer the conversions, but they don't have the same capacity and the numbers out there.
0: Right, and um, you know, it's a, a it's an increasingly important part. I mean, airlines like Korean made profits throughout the pandemic on 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 cargo. Um, and lots of airlines around the world have praters where they stripped out the the passenger seats seats in the passenger cabin and haven't gone as far as like strengthening the floor and cutting a new door but they they're operating these aircraft as freighters
1: and worth noting that a lot of those freighters are probably going to return to passenger service as as demand comes back
0: right and that that will put a lot of belly hold space back in the market so there there will be more cargo capacity but airlines see the the value of freighters and um with thinks that boeing should actually focus its engineering resources now on cargo rather than um than chasing after a dream for an uh, a mid-market aircraft which is interesting because for so long he was really one of the loudest advocates for the nma the now canceled um what's new mid-market aircraft new yeah it was an aer- airplane?
1: Uh, new oh, um new mid-sized new market airplane? airplane right right yeah
0: which boeing has essentially walked away from so but it, i mean
1: it's it's good that was a 2025 eis and yes, you know yes. with existing technology and you know had that happened it might have been a successful plane but at this point considering where we are like like you said EIS will probably be it would be probably the end of the decade so yeah
0: I mean if they don't have a design yet it would be the end of the decade right right uh, and you know you're right it's that the NMA was I forgot that was meant to enter service in 2025 um, unfortunately that that timeline coincided with a, a very challenging engineering period for Boeing um, so Interesting times. So, all right, and we're back. Hey, Ned. Uh, so let's shift gears and let's talk about uh, the the announcement. Of American or American made some news on Monday. We're recording this on Monday, June twenty first, for to go live on uh, June twenty fourth. So a little time will have passed, but uh, American American made some news today.
1: They did. You know, I'm working on a story for today regarding Americans cancellations over the weekend. They uh, canceled about 150 to 200 mainline flights on Saturday and Sunday, you know, and they uh, cited weather as the number one issue, but also staffing issues Mm -hmm. as as affecting their operation. And this is interesting to see them acknowledge because uh, we wrote at AW back in March that Staffing issues could uh, create issues for Americans' plan to reactivate their entire mainline fleet by summer, June being the timeline. So here we are in June, and what do you know? Staffing is a concern. So, American has said they're going to roll back their schedule by about 1% through July to, to give them some uh, resiliency, in quotes. Uh, that's their word uh, in, in, in their operations. But I was speaking to the Allied pilots. And this is their pilots' union, and they said American has repeatedly said they do not expect to have uh, their their staffing back, or training backlog addressed until the end of August. So it really makes you wonder.
0: Well, that that's an interesting point, Ned, because when I was when I saw this on the morning news here in San Francisco uh, at five thirty this morning, um, the teaser was something like, "Did American downsize too much?" But that's not the issue at all, right? I mean, the mainstream press seems to have gotten it a little bit wrong.
1: Exactly. So American was the only mainline carrier, U.S. mainline, that furloughed pilots in October 2020 when the CARES Act, the first CARES Act expired. You know, and those pilots have all been recalled. They were called in December when a PSP-2 was passed. But as we pointed out in October, last year, when a pilot leaves property, they have to be recertified. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have to go back through the training process. And what American is now dealing with is they have the combination of uh, regular recurrent training for their existing pilots. They have the pilots that flew the four aircraft types that were retired, Airbus 330s, 757, 767s, E-190s. And they have those furloughed pilots that need to uh, go back through the training process before they Mm -hmm. can fly. And so they had all of that come together early in the year. And it's taken that it is, you know. Based on internal messages that that I've uh, have been shared with me, it's going to take them until the end of August to complete all of those retraining um, situations, and right. it's tough for them to to fly the plane. So it's it's really not an issue of them letting go of too many people. It's they of you know they are trying to fly more than they're you know based on their training needs that they they can right now as people are still working through the training process and
0: right. well it's, it's a better news hook for the you know for for the local news in the bay area um to to say do they furlough too many people that's a better news hook than um America needs more simulator time <laughs>
1: right which is basically I mean, I what think it's it is crazy. i mean i would love more simulator time what can i say but yes <laughs> that's, that's that is basically the
0: stuff. issue right like they they have a limited number of simulator simulators for each, and uh, they can probably outsource and find other simulators elsewhere but they they have a limited number of simulators that they have to put a whole bunch of pilots through recurrent right. as you mentioned recurrent furloughed like changing fleet types there's a lot of pilots that need a lot of training
1: right and you mentioned outsourcing and actually you know, from everything I've read, there's, there's it is a challenge to get simulator time anywhere yeah. right now. Delta has also had operational issues, uh, not because they furloughed pilots, because of their retirements, and right. they've had to retrain pilots that have moved around on fleet types, and that has resulted in a couple weekends where, you know, Delta's canceled flights. I remember beginning of May before they had rolled back, you know, they had to open middle seats to put passengers in earlier than planned because they were, had all these cancellations. And uh, it was a, a big apology coming from Delta Management from having to do that. So it's it, simulator time is is uh, in short supply right now right, as right. pilots are moving around.
0: And, you know, even in the normal in before the pandemic, in normal time, simulators general, an airline usually runs its simulators 24 hours a day. So, um, so these things are not just sitting around gathering dust and, um, having, you know, the grass grow under them. They are, they're busy machines just to keep up with the recurrent training and, um, you know, new hire training in the best of times. And now they've got the, you know, an airline like American is just reactivated its entire fleet and has a bunch of stuff to do with the simulators. So yeah, it's It's going to take a while.
1: It is, and it's funny you mentioned. Uh, I was thinking about. I know pilots go all over the world for for simulator time with contractors and stuff. You know, Chinese pilots come to the US. But remember, there's still COVID border restrictions in place, so yes, really Americans probably limited to simulators in the US. What's yeah, available yeah. here? Yeah. So and there's a competition for those.
0: Yeah. Crazy times. All right, let's uh, let's let's move on to uh, to Wizzard. Air is opening a new new base, right?
1: So, not uh, two weeks after Wizz Air's uh, very colorful CEO <laughs> said that they were going for Italy, uh, they have announced their, I believe, seventh base in the country, which will be in Naples. And so they are on quite the expansion spree there in Italy. Uh, Rome, uh, I don't want to say it, Rome Fiumcino? Is that how you pronounce the airport? Um.
0: I think that's close enough. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a number of other bases, but it's it really highlights the fact that there's a lot of airlines uh, jockeying for share in Italy. And this comes as Alitalia, the country's largest air, airline, continues its uh, many-year struggle to restructure under state aid and, and looks like the, the new Alitalia... Cranky. <laughs>
0: Yeah, our pal, our pal Brett Snyder, the cranky flyer, has many has had many many years of of uh, colorful things to say about Alitalia, and uh, yeah, this is a this this airline is one that you know ha- puts a cat to shame with the number of lives it has.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so the latest iteration, Italia Transporto Aero (ITA), is due to launch this fall, but that has left an opening for airlines like Wizz Air and uh Ryanair which is the country was already the country's largest carrier by uh seats uh, right, prior to right. the pandemic uh, to move in and Wizz Air has jumped up a couple places I, I pulled the numbers for July and August and Wizz Air is going to be the third largest carrier in Italy by seats wow. uh, compared to and they were sixth no seventh uh prior to the pandemic so it, you know, they're really jumping up on places and it it goes to show you that the pandemic has really opened up market opportunities that didn't exist prior, you know, prior to the crisis because of restructurings. Yeah, you know, we've seen that in the U.S. We've talked about JetBlue and and uh, other airlines doing that, but it's happening in Europe in a big way.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, they gave
1: really- up on uh, flying domestic operations in Norway so that they exactly. could expand in Italy. Right, and right. their CEO said that it was simply a financial decision because they needed planes to fuel their growth in Italy. So they, they made the decision that that was a better market for them. Right,
0: and Norwegian itself, I mean, I well, Norway would, was about to get a little bit more competitive anyway for with, right. with uh, Norwegian focusing on the Nordics and then Floor how however you say Flior, Flior, yeah, whatever Flior that just got its AOC last week. So, um, um, you know that that's a crowded sector for a pretty small market now. Italy's right a lot larger population. Exactly.
1: So. Italy arguably can support several large airlines, whereas Norway is question mark on
0: that. So Right. right. And Wiz Wizz doesn't uh, doesn't like to lose money and and doesn't make a habit of losing money. So I can see what saw are the the grass was growing. No, that's a bad. I, mean, I just mixed
1: metaphors. I'm sorry. They saw where the wind
0: <laughs> was blowing in Norway and moved over to Italy.
1: <laughs> exactly. And, and you know, they're not alone. Ryanair is not uh, not uh, willing to cede any share. It's been adding flights. It's opened new bases as well in Italy this year. Uh, we, we're seeing a lot of growth. Like, I don't want to say growth because there's the capacity is still down compared to pre-pandemic. But we're seeing a lot of changes in who's flying that capacity. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, do you think um, we got a few minutes left? Do you think we're so there's also news that Europe is reopening to to vaccinated travelers. Isn't the, uh, uh, Once again, the European Commission is urging its its member states to op- governments to open up to vaccinated travelers so that Europe ha- the Europe's tourism industry doesn't have a second lost summer. What are you hearing now? Do you think it's going to be a second lost summer? We're already in June, uh, almost July.
1: I am torn to that I my gut is yes, it's going to be somewhat of a lost summer, uh, maybe not a fully lost summer, because I think that there are going to capture some bookings in August that, you know, probably didn't occur last year. Mm-hmm. But I, it's it's not a full summer, uh, right. by any stretch of the imagination, I normally Americans and, and it would be flat flooding in after Memorial Day to, to Europe. And of course, that's not happening yet. Uh, maybe the, as more countries open in July, we'll see a larger push, but I have several friends who have gone over and I've seen their pictures and it clearly is not packed with tourists.
0: Oh, I know. this. I've, uh, I think a mutual friend of ours recently went to Paris and uh, the, um, the pictures uh, were shocking. I mean, it looked beautiful. It was beautiful weather and completely empty. it was it was something I else think
1: uh, as runners, you and I, we would appreciate running on empty yes, Parisian yes. streets. Uh, so yes. I, I know that that's not necessarily good for the tourism industry, but uh, if, no, you know, as would...
0: someone who's tried running in Paris in July, it um it's more like walking and trying not to be trying not to hit a tourist, right? Oh well, I say <laughs> you're just
1: running in the wrong places, Madhu. I've had some quite enjoyable
0: runs. maybe, but when you get to the get to where you want to run, it, you have to there it's inevitable you're going to run through tourists and I, I think where i stay well anyway long story that's running <laughs> we can do another podcast on that but i um, but
1: the, i think the, it's the, maybe a partial off summer is the yeah, way i see it it's not going to be a full summer like normal for european carriers but well, yeah.
0: the question i had for you though is that i i have you i wonder if you've been hearing this or seeing it in the data because i'm hearing it sort of anecdotally but also just uh, from what some european airlines are saying and european tourist authorities are saying is that that. um a lot of europeans plan to take their summer vacations you know their long summer vacations this year but uh the trend is towards taking surface transport uh either road or rail rather than um than flying so staying within your own country you know maybe going if you live in paris going to the beaches of uh, the mediterranean coast or same with spain you know um I've heard that a lot of Austrians are going to the mountains for for uh, the summer vacation. So I, I don't know if you've heard the same thing. I mean that that doesn't bode well for the airlines. It's great for the uh, you know tourism economies, but it doesn't bode well for the airlines.
1: You know, I haven't heard much of the same thing uh, from people directly, though. I've read that that is is happening, and that wouldn't surprise me. You know, I was just thinking Lufthansa talked about their uh, summer expectations last week and they said by august they only expect to be up to 55% of pre-crisis uh, demand levels. So wow. I mean that tells you even if you're if Europe is reopened in in august and they're still only carrying about 55% of of 2019 passenger numbers, there's a lot of people that aren't flying Lufthansa necessarily. So it, it makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All
0: right, Ned, thank you so much for joining me. I know it's your job, but uh, thanks for joining me. And for all, of you listening, a pleasure, <laughs> for all of you listening, thanks for joining us again for another episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge. Uh, please check us, our site, airlineweekly.com. A new issue of the weekly drops every Monday, and um, we update the site throughout the week. Information on how to subscribe is at airlineweekly.com. Thank you, Ned. Thanks, Madhu. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan on a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.